So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See Jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection Now, with your hosts, Jean Victoria Norlock and Rick O'Shields, bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody. To this edition of Everyday Connection Now, I'm Rico Shields, and still way over there, way up there, around there. What? Jean Victoria Norlock, how are you, Jean? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's awesome, actually. I'm uh, in my studio again, and I just had the fabulous, fabulous last week of. Um, Having super energy and super health and getting so much accomplished, so much accomplished. It's been great. So, yeah, I'm fantastic. That's wonderful. Well, things are continuing to move right along down here. I'm uh, going to find out Friday how the whole getting your car recertified for another year goes. Uh, trip to San Isidro, which uh, uh kind of been wanting to get over there and see that. That's one of the closest places to get to a to city like services. It's still not very city like, but city like services and get your car redone because they the, the annual safety inspections here are much more involved than I've ever seen anywhere. Uh, and they're still relatively new to the uh folks that have been here because they didn't used to have them. But it came out that um in in their university research that traffic death was the number one cause of death in Costa Rica. So they've set out to fix that, if they can. They tend to do that down here. You know, it's like people chopping down rainforest and stuff, and they went, oh, stop, stop that. We'll have none of that. No, not allowed. Not allowed. And yeah, they're, they're actually awesome with regards to stopping people from silliness. I mean, didn't they, didn't they disband their military? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> they said, yeah, that's silliness. We don't need that business. And um, What's this war stuff? What are you talking about? No, no, no. We don't do that. We don't. That, that was, we've seen war. It's not pretty. We're not going to do that. And uh, uh, they also, like in the uh, Gulf of Nicoya up here, they monitor the fish stocks and uh, any of them. They don't wait for them to get endangered or, you know. But if if they're dropping a little bit, they just, okay, no fishing. And they usually only have to do that for a year or two, and the stocks are right back up, and off they go. Uh, but, but of they, course, you know, instead of getting into the oh, they're all going to go extinct, and 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 then have <laughs> twenty year drama of trying to, they just go look. You fished too much last year, boys. No fishing this year, and give the mother a year or two to recover. You know, like. And, you know, don't catch as many. You can't catch those this year, but just still fish these. 
and um, managed to keep in in my in my mind they're doing they're at least making a fair attempt at trying to keep some balance you know uh because awesome. you wait until the stocks fr- fished out the people that fish for that kind of fish are now out of a job instead of laid off for a year they're have lost their career so it it the, the and and they've pointed that out to the fishermen so the fishermen are all cool with it they're like yeah that's good so they don't have a big problem you know they they have a tendency to sit down with both sides and go, okay, you get this and you get this, and everybody shake hands and off they go. Imagine well, that. The funny, the funny thing about that is, you know, it's odd this thing called conversation <laughs> <laughs> when you can actually sit down and and discuss something with somebody as opposed to impose your viewpoint on them, but have some give and take as to you know show some concern for their welfare, like. They need to make a living. They still need to be able to fish. So you have to show concern for their welfare. Well, then explain to them that if they overfish, they're going to run out of fish. People are not stupid. And we're not going to make it illegal to fish forever. Yeah, I mean, humans humans are are basically very intelligent beings. So if you can explain something to them that they have not stumbled across as far as information in this lifetime and you explain that to them openly honestly just here it is they're gonna go oh yeah that makes sense yeah that's cool we'll do that we make it yeah right (laughs) well it we make it too complicated just talk to people people yeah just talk to each other and you'll yeah i mean then no more military yay costa rica they have conversations with each other it's amazing yeah speaking of conversations yeah we're gonna have an exciting one this evening afternoon morning now now we're gonna have an awesome one now Right right now right now yes we do have an exciting uh guest with us tonight yet again and um, I'm going to have to get on that Everyday Connection Now thing and try to quit saying good night, but that's a um, habit. Um, well, here, here's a yeah. suggestion, Rick. Instead okay. of wishing people good day or good morning or good evening, when you meet them on the street, say good now. Yeah. Well, I think it's only fair. Right. Yeah. Well, because it, the way I look at it, the way I look at it, and I bet you Donna would agree, is that if you wish them good good day or have good year, even um, those have limits. Good night, that has a limit. When the day comes, the night's over. But if you wish them a good now, that's infinite. Yeah, it always applies. Particularly right. in this global world of global communication, when we don't know. We do it often, where it's morning for one guest and evening for us and afternoon for somebody else, and we just all get on the phone, and guess what? It's still now. <clears throat> go, when do I start talking? Awesome. Now. Now would be good. You can start talking now. Just like our guest tonight, uh, who is a, an interfaith minister, a certified hypnotherapist, and, um, well, she she does a couple other things, and she is an author. Uh, much like our Jean here, Donna Corso. How are you, Donna? Welcome. 
Well, thank you. I'm doing very well right now. <laughs> and it's always so I'm doing well. Doing well. That's awesome. Thank you. That is awesome. That's totally <laughs> awesome. All right, Donna, let's get right to it so that I can find out all about you because I'm okay. excited. Um, who on earth are you and what do you do? Who am I and what do I do? Is that the question? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, my name is Donna Corso. What do I do? Oh, my gosh, I do so many things. I'm I'm dizzy. Um, right now, I'm an author. I also work for a best-selling author. But um, my own book just came out, so I guess I can call myself an author now. And it did make the Amazon bestseller list, so I guess I can say I'm a best-selling author. That's fun. That and is awesome. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's called my book is called When the Wind Chimes Chime, and the subtitle is Ending the Greatest Fear of All. So you want to know about it now? Mm. Oh yeah, now I want to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a story. It's actually a two-part book. The first part is the story of a little boy who died, and this is a true story. His name was Andreas, and he died when he was seven years old. He had osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer. So the first half of the book is his story. And then the second half of the book is more of a personal exploration so the reader can get more in touch with his or her own feelings about death and dying. So I look at this as a way of opening hearts, opening eyes, and also opening a dialogue about death and dying because it just seems to be such a taboo topic. And people don't want to talk about. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And this this will um be some of our listeners would know, but new listeners might not. Um and please don't feel sorry for me, whoever's listening, please don't go there. But I have buried six grandparents, three parents, one godmother, father in law. I have dealt with this topic so many times in my personal life and each and every time it's been very difficult at some point to to understand where the fear that these other people have around this subject are coming from because I, I've had experiences where people don't even know what to say to me. They're like, we don't know what to, and it's like, it's okay. I get it. It's, people are terrified of the topic. They're terrified of being around people who just lost somebody. Um, they're terrified to allow themselves to think about preparation for that, you know, and what does that all mean? How would it affect my family, my life? They're, they're terrified to think about where they're going next on some level. So I'm so glad you wrote this book. It's so exciting. Thank, so thank you. you. Oh, yeah. So I think it's just time that we start to talk about it and really be able to embrace death as part of the natural cycle of life. I I haven't really always had a real bad feeling about it, even as a little kid. When I was a little kid, my parents used to take me to uh, funerals and wakes. I never figured out why they called it a wake. I don't, no one ever woke up from the hospital. <laughs> But uh, maybe it was wishful. <laughs> but anyway, I, I never to, got that either. <laughs> I used to always, um, I mean, I understand that it's sad to think that we're not going to see that person again in this lifetime. But 
I never really understood why there was so much grieving about it. I would watch people just really mourning or saying that, oh, isn't it horrible that they died? And and I used to think, as a little kid, I used to think, wow, I think death would be the most exciting part of life. Because as a little kid, my belief was we went to heaven. And my belief has changed somewhat since then, but I still think that it's a beautiful experience and it's a natural part of life. So, you know, I haven't really, I haven't really had those kind of feelings. Of course, I mean, I have lost my parents, but both of them were 90 years old when they died. My mom, my, my dad died, I think in 2000 and he was 90 and he wanted to go. He was, he kept saying he didn't want to live a day past 90. And in fact, he lived about three days past 90. Um, past his 90th birthday. And about five years ago or six years ago, my mom was 90 and she too was just ready to go. And she, they both went peacefully. So I really didn't feel that bad about it. Of course, it'd be nice to see them again. But, you know, I just, um, I think it's time that we all really get a grip on, on it. We do need to grieve, of course, but we don't need to fear that process because it's going to happen to all of us. It's been happening to all of us in my in my belief system, we've been through it thousands of times already, and we just don't remember that. So it can be a peaceful thing. But in Andreas's, uh, the little boy's name was Andreas. The first part of the book is about him. And he didn't have such a peaceful passing because of the laws. And that's really what the first part of my book is about, to really tell his story, but not to make people feel bad or bad, but really to open their eyes about what some of the laws are. Because we, we kind of need permission sometimes to be able to die peacefully, permission from the law. Absolutely. And that, to me, that's, that's not, you know, we have a human right to die peacefully and not to be told that we have to have certain treatments or therapies. Because this little boy, when he was seven and he had bone cancer in his arm and his parents took him to a doctor. And the doctor, of course, did many, 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 many x-rays and MRIs and everything. And then they would send him to another hospital and they would, instead of using the same x-rays, they would take tons of more x-rays. And this happened several times. And finally, the doctor said, um, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to amputate his arm, part of his ribs, part of his lungs. We're going to give him chemo. We're going to give him radiation. Well, by the time, by that time, it had already metastasized into other bone tissue. So there really wasn't more than even a 1% chance he was going to survive. And the parents, especially the father, had done tons of research. And he found about 300 other children who had similar situations. And they went along with the doctor's orders. And every single one of them, 100% of them died anyway. But they died a horrible death, a painful death. And so the parents didn't want to put Andreas through that. They just, if they were going to lose him, they wanted at least for him to have a very peaceful death. So they said to the doctor, there must be some alternative. And as soon as they used that word, what I call the dreaded A word, alternative, doctors don't like that word. The doctor said, if you try anything like that, we will take your son, we'll make him ward of the state, and we will do these procedures with or without your consent. And so the rest of Andreas's short life, they, the family had to be running from the law in order to prevent this from happening because they did not want this to happen to him. So it was, uh, it's really kind of a very sad, very sad tale because they had, you know, at the end of your life, it's important to have time for closure. And especially for a child, he should have been able to spend his final months or weeks 
doing fun stuff that children love to do, maybe going to Disney World or at least being with his family and having quiet time. But instead they had to keep, yeah. uh, they had you know, evade the law. And yeah, they did manage to evade it. It's, it's, it's not unusual to have some of these cancers if they've, you know, caught at a point like that where it's metastasized, it's all over the place, that, okay, their life would be short, but of much higher quality if you just let them die of the cancer than if you kill them with the chemotherapy and stuff. Exactly, yes. And that was that was the whole point. The, the parents didn't want to lose him, obviously, but they were willing to lose him that way more than to lose him in this horrible condition. And what uh, Gordy is the father, and Gordy did lots of research, and he found out that um, some of the parents of these other 300 children that he researched some of the parents bucked the system and didn't go along with it, and they were incarcerated. They were actually put in jail. So when their child was finally dying in the hospital, the child didn't even have his mommy and daddy with them because they were in jail. And that's just really absurd. So Andreas's story, uh, they managed to get him out of the country because they had a connection in China with a, a Chinese medical doctor who agreed to work with Andreas for free if they could get him over there. So Gordy and Andreas flew to China, and the medical doctor met with them, and he brought in two of his friends who were very old men, and they were Qigong masters. And they were from a 6,000-year lineage of Qigong masters, and they've been able to heal or help to cure many hundreds of people, many of whom were Americans, actually, who went over there. And many of them were told that you know, their, their disease was terminal but they were able to cure them. So they were willing to take a chance and, and take Andreas over there. So the first day they got there, the doctor and the Qigong masters gathered around Andreas and spoke in Chinese. And after a few minutes, they bowed to him and they left. So Gordy went over to the interpreter and said, well, what did they say? Can they help my little boy? And the interpreter said, they have identified your son as one of the ancient ones. And this is his soul's way of leaving the planet. And neither your invasive Western medical community or treatments, nor our Eastern Qigong and, and Chinese herbs can make him stay. This is his soul's path. So, you know, for me, that's one of the most beautiful parts of his story because it was really a confirmation that we can't really judge how long a person is supposed to be here. Seven years is what he was supposed to live. Um, some people are supposed to live to be 90. It's not about how long we're here. It's about what we do with the life that we have. Amen. Such an incredible, incredible story, Donna. How did you get involved in the writing of it? Well, I was, um, well, to go back maybe 40-some years, I used to read, even back to my teen years, I used to read, metaphysical books, and one of my favorite authors was Ruth Montgomery. I don't know if you're familiar with Ruth Montgomery. She's deceased now, but she wrote a lot of the very first meta metaphysical books. And her books usually ended with uh, predictions about these times that we're in right now, earth changes and all of that, and she would she would be told that there would be a lot of death. And I, I got real clear that I was going to be surrounded by a lot of people dying in these times. I wrote her a letter one day, and I told her how much I enjoyed her books, and I told her that I wasn't afraid of the coming times, you know, that I thought it sounded like an exciting time to be on the planet. And she wrote me a little handwritten note 
on a half a sheet of tablet paper, came in my mail one day, and she said, I believe you will be one of the people who will be there in those times, in these times, and you will be helping people to die without fear. So that's kind of a phrase that I held in my heart over all these years. I'm going to be helping people die without fear. I didn't know what it meant. I still don't really know what it means. But I always had the impression I was going to be writing a book someday. And a couple of years ago, or maybe three or four years ago, I happened to be in a meeting, and a young man stood up and told briefly the story of his little boy who died. And as soon as I heard him tell his story, I just knew that that was a story that needed to be told and that I was supposed to write it. So I got together with the parents. I never met the little boy himself, but I have met the mother and father. They live about 45 minutes away from me. So we would meet, and they would give me all the details for the story. Wow. Because uh, it is. She a, just knew, hey, Rick. Well, she just knew. and it is a powerful story. Um, it is. And even absolutely. Even for those that, you know, like you said, just opening up the conversation because it. It is odd these laws and rules and things that have come about, and. Um, you know, I could perhaps see where people might have an argument with, you know, parents that because of their beliefs don't want any medical treatment for their child. So, um, uh, you know, something simple that is easily treatable and all of that kind of stuff and will not, then the child will have a nice long life. I, I'm, I'm torn in those situations. Is it supposed to be that this child, you know, I can see that, but I mean, this child pretty much except for 1%, this child was going to die. And it was it was a question, to, to me it becomes a question with percentages like that, it becomes a question of how is the child going to die? Like, like you said, is the child going to die uh, suffering, long-suffering, painful death, or are they going to live as much as they can? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it has to be a case-by-case situation. You know, when Gordy was researching the other children, what he what his research showed was that it's a state law. It goes state by state, but there's a law that if your child is under 16, you don't have choices for incorporating any natural therapies or alternatives. You have to go along with whatever the doctor says. Now, you might be lucky and have a doctor that says you can do those things, but if the doctor says chemo, radiation, amputation is it, that's the law. And there's, you know, the agency, the Child Protective Services. And I've I've really kind of read up online about them and there really seems to be a lot of abuse in that in that whole system. But um certainly it's an important system. We do need child protective services, but it needs to be a little more rational. It's you know, certainly if a parent is really negligent or is really not going to get treatment for something that is very simply cured. That's that's another matter. But when it's already metastasized, not just into around that area of the body, but already into other bone tissue and into the blood system. And what Gordy found out was that, you know, when it goes that far, he never found one person, child in all of those 300 that survived after it went that far. And even the doctors could not give him a guarantee of even a 1% chance that Andreas could live. So that's why they didn't want to put him through all that and then have him, you know, in horrible, horrible misery at the end. He did end up, um, so they have, they evaded having those treatments and they tried several alternatives, but by the time they did it, and they had to do it, of course, under the radar, 
by the time they got to any of those therapies, it was too late. It had already spread too far. Maybe if they had had the option earlier, who knows, he might have been able to be saved. But at the end, he was in a hospital, and um, he was in bed, and he had an oxygen mask off, and he took his oxygen mask off. And Gordy rushed over to Andreas so he could put it back on over his little boy's mouth. And Andreas took his dad and said, turn off my lungs. And then he repeated it, turn off my lungs. And he lived just a few minutes longer, I believe, a few moments, very peacefully. And his very last words, because Gordy was right close to him, his very last words were, when the wind chimes chime. And that's why I entitled the book, When the Wind Chimes Chime. And I asked Gordy what he thought Andreas meant when he said that. And Gordy said, well, I think he was telling me that when I hear wind chimes, that means he's nearby or think of him. He's always around. And that might be part of it. But I was curious about that because I, I remember reading several books by another author, Danny and Brinkley. Danny and Brinkley is an author who had several near-death experiences, not just near-death, but actually where he was likely dead for 28 minutes, and he was on the other side, as I would say, for 28 minutes, and his books talk about his experience over there. But I remembered in his books that he always had the sound of wind chimes when he was when he was going through the tunnel. There's like a, my understanding is there's an energetic tunnel that connects this dimension, the physical dimension, with the spiritual dimension. And so I had a conversation with Danny, and he said that when what his experience was that when we go through that tunnel, our frequency is um, acclimating to the frequency on the other side, and that people usually hear some kind of music. For him, it was wind chimes. And so he felt that Andreas was already entering that tunnel um, on his way to the other side, to the spiritual realms. And he knew that what would hold him in the physical body was breath. And that's why he had to remove his oxygen mask. So that's that's where the title came from. I thought it was a good name for a title. Maybe that's why he mentioned it, huh? Could well be. Could well be. Because I, I believe also there's a frequency adjustment, you, you might say, uh, in that transition. And um, and the, the, the sensing that or, or having a sensation of a, a sense experience of music, um, particularly something like a wind chime that's a, a re- relatively high tinkling, you know, sound, it might be the way you could represent it to a physical mind, physical oriented mind that you know, right. frequencies changing, and um, yeah, um, and it is. Um, you know, I've often wondered how we got here to this now where death is such a taboo topic and a a, a big fearsome thing, a, a f- big fear-filled thing. It's because I, we have long discussions about things that very few people ever experience. This is the only, one of the only things I know of that everybody is going to experience, period. So it yep. seems that it would be something we could talk about. You know, we can talk mm-hmm. about, you know, don't don't go walking in the jungle at night because you might encounter this snake. Well, how many people have encountered that snake? Oh, less than 100. But, but you know, it's out there. <laughs> Good point, yes. And, 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 you know, books get written about that stuff. 
and um and there haven't even really been that many books and 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 they often get i'm I'm so thrilled that you made the bestseller list because they often get overlooked because people don't people don't think about it people don't talk about it people the one thing everybody's gonna do is the one thing everybody acts like is never gonna happen <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, I think our culture in particular, we focus so much on separation instead of one oneness with all of life, life, and um, and then we're you know we're bombarded with death every day. Just looking at the movies and the TV shows and the newspapers, you know, we're constantly saturated with horrible horrible deaths, you know, war and people being blown up or murdered, um, serial killers, all of that. So maybe that helps to bring about some of the fear that we feel about it. Maybe we're fearing ways of dying. I mean, I don't fear death, but I certainly would not want certain ways of dying. And I guess I could say I fear those, but I don't think about them much. But the process itself, it's the same as birth, really. Uh, you know, some authors have equated it to the birth coming through the canal. The birth canal is equated to going through the tunnel over to the other side. I like the way uh, I work for an author who wrote a book um, home with God and the life that never ends. And one of his analogies is the infinity sign, like the figure eight. And he shows how we come into the physical life and then we cross over into the spiritual life and we cross back into the physical and so on and so forth into infinity. It's like life does, does not end, but we we just cross back and forth. And that may not be everybody's belief. I'm not trying to say this is the way it is. This is my belief and because I believe we come here many times for many purposes. And that's comforting to think that we go back and forth, and it's just natural. Yeah, but it, it, it there's so many fascinating beliefs about death on this planet and have been, and and, mm. and so it's, it, 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 it can be a very rich topic. And, and it, the only stories of death we hear are these ones that you were listing off earlier that, you know, these students, some guy walked into a school and just mowed people down or serial killers or, you know, they dropped a chemical weapon or whatever. And it, it because other than that, in some cold clinical way, we don't ever t discuss death. So beautiful deaths, I mean, some people will disagree, but... I think mm -hmm. that the the young man in your story had a beautiful death. His loved mm -hmm. ones were pre present. He was conscious and choosing, it sounds like to me, which to me is one of the definitions of being a human being, is that you have the Get ability to choose. To choose. It, it, yeah. it, it It's one of the few things that we sort of have in it as an inalienable right, is our ability to choose, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it, the the idea that you there would be no choice around that, and and no not even any discussion, right? Of of is this okay? And mm -hmm. um, because. It's a topic that I've thought about a lot because I've I've experienced a time when there were some real choices about quality of life issues and things, and uh, I did not have a near-death experience. Uh, I was my heart stopped, but 
it was started almost instantly. I was in a emergency room. It was, you know, I think it was probably much scarier for the people that were conscious than and, and awake and in there <laughs> in the room than me. But uh, right. um, but after that, there were it, my health in other ways began a rapid slide, and I had always been. I didn't even get the flu when people at the office, everybody got sick, and I didn't get sick. And, uh, uh, of course, they teased me. They said, you were saving it all up. And I said, apparently. Um, but um, it, it appeared that I might lose my ability to walk, that, um, uh, you know, there was there was nerve degeneration and things going on that were not stopping, weren't even really particularly slowing down. And so... You begin to think about those things, and and one of the first thoughts I had was, is, isn't it odd that I've never thought about any of this before? Never even mm-hmm. thought about it. Not yeah. like sit down and have a think about what my choices would be because of my situation, because I wasn't in a situation, but I just never thought about the topic. It had just never really been a topic of exploration, and that's that is to me. It's kind of silly. You know, when you look at the in-depth discussions we have about stuff that we're most likely never going to experience. Yeah, you're right. Uh, until it really hits home closely, you know, to us, we maybe don't think as much about it. But that's, I think the times are coming when we really need to have the dialogue about it. And that's why I included the second part of the book. The second half of the book is so different from the first part because I have um, stories of people who have died consciously and peacefully maybe even planned their own um their own celebration of life that, that they knew we would be having afterwards and things like that. So I didn't want to leave people just in the sad story and the trauma of this little boy's journey because I felt that his purpose for having that seven year life was to call attention to the, the medical system that we have right now that is based to me it's fear based and uh control based to a degree. And so I thought that was part of his legacy in a way. But I have known people that have, that knew they were dying and that really wanted to be a part of it. I had a friend, when I lived in Colorado, I had a friend named Sunday who knew she was dying. It was her last round of cancer, breast cancer, I think it was. And she lived in a household with her sister and some other women, and she wanted to put together a little booklet that we would all share when we had her celebration of life because she knew she was only, you know, maybe a few weeks from it. And it was really beautiful. She wanted her ashes to be buried in the backyard and have a peach tree planted there. And and the day that um, I showed up at her house to say goodbye to her, because I hadn't really said my goodbyes to her. And when I got there, I found out she had died two days before, but they had her in her bed. They had prepared her body. The women in the community there prepared her body and dressed her in what she had picked out to wear. And they had her in her bed with dry ice around her so everybody that came by could just go up and sit with her and say their goodbyes, even though she was already passed over. And um and then we had in the back when we buried in the backyard, we had the dances of universal peace, which was a, a spiritual community that both she and I were a part of. It was part of our spiritual path. And so there were probably a, a hundred or two hundred people that got in the big circles in the backyard and danced dances of universal peace, if you're familiar with that. And uh, like Sufi dancing, it was just really a beautiful send off. And you know, we don't have to go kicking and screaming. We can have a peaceful passing and, and know that that it's okay. It's important that we be given permission, though, to do that. 
that you know we can know that it's safe Absolutely. and that yeah permission is important i think so my 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 grandma and i had a conversation shortly before she went and a lot of what she told me because she knew she was going she had um she had colon cancer, and we were extremely, extremely close. And a lot of what she told me was to allow – she had watched me go through my parents' passing as well. And it's a crazy tale. But she told me to allow people to have whatever celebrations they needed to have to let her go because mm-hmm. she was fine. She knew she was she – was, she wasn't worried about her. Mm-hmm. Um and she, but she said to allow them that because that was they needed that to mourn. You know what I mean? And she said she yes. understood that I probably wouldn't need or understand all the funeral and the the stuff and stuff. Um, but that that's people needed it, so mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, it's important. I, I was watching a um, some kind of a documentary just a few weeks ago. Uh, where they followed four or five different people as you know throughout their last few weeks of life, and I remember there was a teenage girl, I think she was nineteen and she was dying, but her father was so upset and he was always crying and just really he couldn't handle it and that's why she was holding on and not being able to just let go and, and leave because she knew that he was mourning so much and finally, the hospice people took him aside and said, "You know it's really important that you Deal with your grief and be strong and let her know that it's okay for her to go. You're going to be okay. And so he finally got to the point where he held her in his arms and he told her he loved her and he told her it was okay for her to leave. And she died right there in his arms. After several weeks or months, you know, of her holding on just because of his his uh, grieving process, when he finally was able to tell her that it was okay to give her permission to go, she went immediately. And he said that was like the most beautiful moment of his life, even though it was sad to have her let go like that while he's holding her in his arms. So, you know, we, we think we have to avoid even talking about it, even when they're, they know they're dying and we know they're dying. And yet, like you said in the very beginning, yeah. we avoid that conversation with them. It's awkward. It's awkward to know what to say. But, you know, we need to start that conversation. Yeah, it, it's, that's why we need to start in my opinion yeah. is it's always awkward uh i think of that with these with these political bodies that we have on the planet that get into this thing where they won't talk to the people that they don't like and <laughs> and and then after they've not talked for a very long time they get together and they break up after one day and they go look i just can't even understand these people well of course not you've not talked to them in 20 years it right. it, it, it it's always awkward when you haven't talked about it for a long time and have had it a subject that you really – I mean, it was a subject that when I asked awkward questions about death when I was a child, I was shushed or literally told we don't talk about things like that. I was literally uh-huh. told that on more than one occasion. And um, that's just odd. To me, that yeah, and and I, I I don't mean to I know I keep harping on it, but it, it it's a strange position to find yourself in uh, because you can't you can't figure out how you feel about it, you can't figure out what to do about it, and then you end up in these in these fixes. I I don't 
agree with standard traditional um, funeraling and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. um, so my mother passed a few years ago, uh, I guess three years ago, and I did not go. And there's a large portion of my biological family that won't speak to me anymore because uh -huh. I didn't go. And, um, you know, I made I, I, I made myself as clear as I could, you know, that I was sad she was gone and that I was, you know, glad that they were doing what they felt like they needed to do and that I wasn't trying to keep them from doing it. And um, so it was... Um, uh, it was a strange experience because it was, it was, it was like trying to talk with these members of my family ab about something we had never spoken about. Yeah, yeah, even I though, think everybody. Is even though my mother had Alzheimer's, it was, you know, going to be happening. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, 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 there wasn't. Even the doctors were all of agreement that there wasn't really any other option. It was just a question of how long and. And how well, you know, and right. um, mm -hmm. and we were actually quite fortunate. She was she was very alert and active, except for perhaps her last three years. Uh, mm -hmm. And she had been diagnosed, I don't know, fifteen years before that. So, as as it can go, we were very fortunate, and she went fairly quickly and fairly comfortably, as compared to what I've seen some people go through with that disease. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what, you know, I wanted to remember the last time that she was having a, you know, less than perfect day, but we went outside on the patio, just the two of us. And when it got quiet and it was just the two of us, we had this really deep conversation, deep contact, I would call it really between two mm -hmm. beings, more than just what we may or may not have conversed about, you know, and uh -huh. there, there was just a deep connection and that that was the way that I I didn't want to remember her lying somewhere in a box didn't mm -hmm. particularly need to do that I wanted to remember that yes. and and yeah. of course there were some members of the family I didn't even I, I had experiences with my mother on the day that she died and since then but you know even without bringing that into the conversation to not try to stress any of their beliefs it was just mm -hmm. it was it was just right impossible to talk about because that's not, you know, they tell you that relationship therapy, when you're both heated and you're in anger, that's not the time to try to talk about the thing. Right. Just cut it off and come back and talk. with. So waiting until someone that close to you has just passed is not really the good time to try to open a conversation. We're not. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, I think sometimes people expect other people to grieve the same way they do. Uh, I know people who, in their grieving process, when someone has just died, you know, they're very, uh, they cry a lot, maybe yell, scream and everything, which is fine. It's their way of grieving. But if someone else has a quieter way or doesn't have a need, like I've never gone really to the cemetery. Of course, I live across the country, but when I do go back, um, back east to visit my sister and my kids, I guess I could go to the cemetery, but it's like I don't see the point in that for me because they're not there. I believe they're in spirit, and I've, as you said, I've experienced them, my mom and my dad and any other relatives that have passed. I just don't see a point in going to a funeral, I mean, a, a 
a tombstone, a grave grave site, and yet some people get really upset with you for not visiting the grave, and so you're disrespectful for not going there. Do they ever? Oh, they just get... Do they ever? And because I'm young, I'm so young in my family. I'm not even in my 40s yet, so I'm like the literally the baby of my family, and I'm the one who doesn't go to visit the graves, Uh and I don't really do funerals, and um... You know, that's why my grandmother asked me, do hers. Make it your last one if it has to be, but do mine for the family's sake. Um, But, yeah, they don't don't approve at all, at all. But then I've been forever been the black sheep in the family, so that's okay. Hey, but it's shocking to me to see the reactions of some people when when you say, I I don't go to funerals. Well, why? Well, because if I want to talk to the person, I'll just... You know, I'll ask for them to send me a message and expect that it'll happen. <laughs> so why, where, why, where am I going to say goodbye to? And why am I standing there stalking, talking to a stone? There's no spirit here that represents the person unless I call it here and say, hey, you come here. But why would you want to hang out and have that conversation at a gravesite when you can have it in your living room? Yeah, I can think of I so much more cheerful understand. places to chat with my loved ones. But, you know, how, how many people do that? You know, oh, the relatives are coming. We're going to have a picnic at the cemetery. What? <laughs> they, they, you just It's not a place people go to chat. So what? I don't get it. Yeah, they don't do so well. Yeah, and um, my grandmother, as she was approaching, as she was as my grandmother was approaching the end of her life, she was in a nursing home. She was in her late eighties, and she had a a visitation by a glowing being. And you know, when I when I hear of things like that, to me, that's that's so uplifting about the beauty of, of the crossing over time, as I call it, because. My mom went to visit her one morning, and my grandmother said, oh, guess who came to see me this morning? And my grandmother figured it, I mean, my mom figured it must have been the minister of our church, because who else would come in the morning? And my grandmother said, no, it was Jesus, because she was Christian. And she and she was very lucid, very aware, and she was awake at that time in the morning. And she said this glowing figure appeared at the foot of her bed and stood there for a few moments and kind of beckoned her as if to follow him. And then he disappeared right in front of her eyes. And I've had, uh, my cousin has had that's a couple really of experiences. Cool. She yeah. To me, that's that's so uplifting. And, and I'd rather hear things like that about the, the death process. And not, just to know that there is no end to life, that we just go on in a different form. You can't kill life. You can't Absolutely. destroy the life energy. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we take a brief uh, musical break, and um, when we come back, I want to talk, uh, too. You've got some uh, interesting things you've done with some CDs, and some. Uh, we've, perhaps we'll reveal this mysterious person that you work for, because I know who it is, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if Jean knows who it is, because I never tell her these things, but sometimes on the day of the show. Um, so, Jean, we... I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sound really rude here for a second, but I really, it doesn't matter. Oh, I know. She's a best-selling oh, author, dude. This is, like, well, I don't but some care. of the she, other products she can that stand she's got. Alone. Some of the <laughs> other products that, going on. Oh, absolutely. And and it it, <laughs> it it doesn't. It's our listeners know it doesn't matter to us, even if even whoever's on the show, 
we've we've lost some quote big names unquote because we wouldn't rearrange our schedules to suit them. And we told them we said, look, we don't. Once we book somebody, we don't care, you know, if it's Bob from the we corner. Bump. We don't yeah. bump people. We don't. We don't bump guests. We don't. You know, there. We might try to do something if and have always have done something when there's like a family emergency or a, you know, but uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna be in the Bahamas on so and so. Okay, well we'll catch you when you get back. Well, no, I want to talk to you this week. Well, okay, that's great. Sorry, we're busy. Uh, <laughs> but so scheduled this week, so you'll have to wait your turn. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. it just is. Uh, so, but you know, if it if if it's part of her story, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If this person that she works for is a really cool part of her story, then absolutely let's talk about it. Yeah, because we want to talk a little bit more in the in the second half. You 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 also write poetry. You uh, you know, and some of oh, this was a powerful story that you felt needed to be told. But you know, sort of how did Donna Corso get end up in that spot where she was hearing about that story and stuff? Because uh, it's a, we always get juicy out of the the backstory of, you know, what happened? How did it, how'd that work? How's that work? How do you get there? <laughs> um, Ina B tonight, Jean, we've been, sure. we've been playing a lot of Jordan and we haven't had any uh, earth prayer in some shows. Absolutely. So I think uh, some earth prayer based earth on Ho'oponopono. Pono. Uh, from our dear friend Ina V at inav.com. That's E-N-A-V-I-E.com. And stay with us, folks, because when we get back, we'll talk about links to Donna's website and how you can get the book. And uh, uh, Because I'm excited. I want to read the book. You want to read the book, G? I want to read the book. Um, I want to read the book. Absolutely. So we'll be right back. Stay with us, folks. Make new decisions. 
back everybody again that was our friend Eno V with her song Earth Prayer and we do hope you'll check it out over at EnoV.com she's doing some great philanthropic work with the uh, funds from that particular song um, and this should be the point when Jane or someone pops in but uh, due to a technical glitch we lost about 10 minutes of recording uh, that glitch included losing internet 
here in uh, Costa Rica. We were able to uh, straighten everything out and continue the interview, uh, but uh, we were under the impression we had those 10 minutes. Uh, so you'll miss Gene and I bantering. And, uh, of course, our guest answered the question of the night after so many times talking about well-known author, my boss, um, Donna Corso is personal assistant to Neil Donald Walsh. So let's hear what happens with the rest of the conversation. Right. Oops. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I think we were talking Hi. about it was Neil Donald Walsh. That's true. <laughs> we were, but you know what? Before we before we go further there, I want to I want to touch on something that you mentioned. You said you moved there without knowing why you're moving there, but you already were at the point in your life where you knew to follow your instincts. So you moved there anyway. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's it's awesome. kind of, Yeah. It really works for me. I remember being in and I loved Boulder, Colorado when I lived there, but I just um I just had a feeling that my time was up there. I know when spirit is telling me that it's time to move on because doors are not opening, things are not flowing right. So I ended up coming out of Mile High Church one morning on a Sunday, and I sat in my car, and I cried, and I talked to God really loud. And I just said, you know, I'm ready for my next assignment. I just want to go wherever it is I'm supposed to be. Just tell me what to do. And I, I cried really hard, and I prayed really hard. And I think I think it was the energy that I put behind that that really uh, got me got my energy moving again. And I just decided... A couple of weeks later, I was going to get in my car and just drive until I found where I'm supposed to be next. And so I, I had a few clients, a massage clients, caregiving clients, and I just told them all, you know, I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. I got in my car with my camping gear, and I just took off across Colorado and went down to Southern California and and traveled all the way up through California. And, you know, I, I thought along the way, maybe I'm going to hear bells and whistles and trumpets, and this is going to be the place. But it never happened until I got to where I am now, which is Southern Oregon, Ashland, Oregon. And I just knew. I just knew that I was supposed to move here and had no idea why. But it just opened so many doors for me that hadn't been opened before. Yeah. I, I did that even to get to Colorado. Awesome. <laughs> my whole life was kind of like that. The best, I part that out of my way, the, best, but that, the best part of that story is that you admit that you talk to God real loud. There's a lot of people who are scared of talking to God real loud. When they're really passionate oh, about no, something, no. they're scared to let that passion show. You know what? God appreciates your little passion. Put some passion yeah. behind your prayer, people. Come yeah. on. Feel free, you know, and have a chat, you know. Could I possibly, maybe? That's just really not where it's at, people. <clears throat> That's and right. This is your yeah. friend you're talking to. This is it's your a, buddy. And, and, Be and, honest. Be direct. I was raised in the in, in the Baptist church, so we had the Bible, and it's in the Bible. Come boldly before the throne and ask. Okay. <laughs> Amen. You know, that yeah. boldly is not usually, could I possibly, I know I'm worthless, but it's just really <laughs> enough of that. Right. Yeah, I had to make sure he heard me, so I was loud that day. Yeah, yeah. I I can understand that. You know, that's uh, 
That's how I got here to Costa Rica. I, I um, I still not. Uh, you got loud. Huh? I got loud. Yeah, it got, got really loud. loud. And and so um, here I am, and uh, and now I'm just looking for the next, uh, you know, sign or symbol or door that opens. You know. Mm-hmm. Everybody's yeah, like, man, that's my crazy. Art studio. And I was like, well. It's, totally how it's I got to my is. art studio, my mountain home, my my perfect space that I'm now living in. I got loud. Uh-huh. I got very loud. Uh-huh. I got, all right, enough, 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 enough. Tell me what you want. <laughs> yeah. I think it's about moving in. Uh, no, now we got to move in. Well, and we you totally got to do have to your, the energy. About your first... Uh, you know, experience being an author, wasn't it? It was just the all right, look, I'll what it yeah. what it whatever it is, I'll do it. Damn it. What what? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Prepared people when you ask with passion because answers come. Yep, they do. Put on your so, captures mitt. When when you had that when you had that, okay, here I'm home. Because I've had that feeling, and that's a really cool feeling. Um, what happened next? Like, what did you do? You're there. Well, I was. Um, I don't know if we're, I don't know if you're familiar with Ashland. It's just about 15 miles over the from the California border, just up from Mount Shasta. And as I was coming down the the mountain pass, and I could see Ashland down at the foot of the mountain, and I I just knew that was going to be home. And everything just kind of opened up. I happened to be standing in a, a bookstore, a metaphysical bookstore, when I got into town and uh, told the woman there I thought I was going to be moving here. If you hear of any a room for rent, you know, let me know. I had a call actually a month later after I had gone back to Boulder just to, to finalize my life before I moved here. I had a call from a woman and she said, I just happened to be standing next to you in July in Soundpiece Bookstore and I overheard you say you were looking for a room. I have a room room for rent that you needed. So it's like that fell into my lap. Uh, when I first got here, the only way I knew to support myself was mostly to do caregiving. I even cleaned a couple houses, but I did caregiving for seniors and uh, for about a year. And then uh, I happened to be uh, volunteering with Neil Donald Walsh's personal assistant at that time. And, and she called me one day and said, can you come up to Neil's house and be here in five minutes? And I went up and she said, and I'm moving back east. He needs a new personal assistant. And so it just fell into my lap. I didn't have to try to make anything happen. I didn't wow. have to, you know, nothing. I haven't tried to do anything. It just it just opens up and falls into my lap. And that's how I know that this is where I'm supposed to be at this time and what I'm supposed to be doing at this time. So it's just just been so no, many wonderful you doors. Were, you were doing, you were giving of yourself already, which is the beautiful part. Uh-huh. So because anybody who's doing caregiving, um, mm-hmm. just big kudos and, and, and gratitude towards those people who, who give that much of themselves to people who, who sometimes so need it at certain times in their lives. Um, so you were already doing, and you were probably, you're just like, I'm here, I'm happy, I'm good, I'm where I need to be. Yep. So you're swimming in that now energy, and you're just, just continuing to move forward doing what you know to do. Of course doors are going to open. Of course you're going to be led to kneel. I mean, who better to be a personal assistant of Neil Donald Walsh than somebody who's already a master at connecting? 
Wow. Which obviously you. you were my darling. You know what I well, mm-hmm. I mean, well, no, it just makes sense. You were yeah. already a master. You were exactly where you needed to be. You knew that you were supposed to be there. You were content in doing what you were doing. You weren't banging on doors going, Give me my next And, and you were just in the place where you were volunteering, so, it turned out you were volunteering with Neil Donald Walsh's personal assistant. You may not have even known that. Uh or it may have come up in conversation, but but then the you know, can you be here in five minutes? And you yeah. went. <laughs> you know, I know people that, including myself, at times not too far ago, Whoa. that I would have been like, no. Question that? You'd no. be questioning that? Why? Why? What's going on? What? What's and, going on? Then that little yeah, voice right? is like, you know, go. And you're like, yeah, but five happen. minutes? I I, I, I got to get dressed. I got to, oh, wow. No. <laughs> and... um. So that is, that's mastering, mastery of following your heart that way. Absolutely. Absolutely mastery. Without even reading her book or reading a thing about her, having a conversation with her, master. Yeah. I guess I've learned enough in many, many years ago, you know, that if I have to try to make something happen and I just get in my own way. So I just finally... Even even long before that, when I lived in Cleveland and I I just knew my time in Ohio was finished, and I just I asked to be guided, and I ended up somehow moving across the country, getting rid of everything I owned except what would fit in my car, and starting a whole new life there. And I had no clue why I was going there either, but you know, many doors open there too. But when the doors stop opening, then I knew it was time for my next place, and I I just have to trust that wherever I end up is where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, tomorrow morning I might be told by Spirit that I'm going to Outer Mongolia. And I might have a few words to say about that, but I'll go if I have to. Oh, Whatever. that'd be cool. Are might you have, kidding? Might have a that'd few be words awesome. Outward, <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> Outer Mongolia? I've never been there. What's it like there? See, that's my juicy. Somebody's saying to me, what? Yeah, go to the Philippines. You'll write a book. Okay. I got on a plane. I wrote a book. Because oh. <laughs> I'd never been there, so let's go. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. If my story's over there. Let's go. <laughs> it was like sure. We had, we had the opportunity to sort of a side, sideways, last minute opportunity to come to Costa Rica for a week. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll do your accommodations for a week. You do uh, talk about our stuff on the radio. So yeah, we'll do special three hour special and. Um, Let's see. At the time, we didn't we didn't have the right account type at Blog Talk to be able to even do a three hour show, uh, and um, I was in Houston. We didn't have the technology. We weren't prepared. I was in Canada. He's in Houston. And um, you know, well, we went. <laughs> but oddly, oddly enough, over the there. over the few months before that, I had replaced the company replaced Gene's computer, and we we both ended up with these. Portable mics and portable headsets and and stuff and mm-hmm. for not really any good reason and uh, <laughs> I used to be a real impulsive shopper but that's really mostly gone away um, except when different kinds of impulses come and uh, that's when I knew what all that stuff was about and off we off we went and uh, I got here and. 
we hadn't been here two days, had we, Jean? Nikki? No. Nikki Jean? And I'm like, no. I'm coming back here. And um, yep. so I came back with three suitcases, a backpack, and my dog. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that's why I say I'm waiting for the next door to open because I was in uh, Delhi, and the guy that runs the deli overheard me telling somebody else that, you know, I was staying in one place, but I needed to, I was looking for another place. And so I'm just kind of seeing the lay of the land and he comes walking up, you know, he goes, did I, did I just hear you say you're looking for a place to live? (laughs) And he's, he's six foot two bald headed, just jolly fella, uh, Bob. And, uh, Bob, did I over here you saying you're looking for a place to live? And I said, yeah. He said, I've got your house. And cool. and uh, I stubbornly looked at several other places, but this is it. You know, I, I, he said, I've got your house, mm-hmm. and he told me how to find it. So I just drove down here. I knew I wasn't going to be able to go inside, but, you know, come have a look. It's daytime, you know. And so I get here. I walk around. The, the back of the house is like concrete. It looks like a bunker. And uh, I walk around to the to the front and here's this beautiful outdoor living space and this gigantic mural on the wall of Pegasus winging its mm. way up out of the clouds and you know Bob Bob at the deli I've got your house and he di- he did it again too later I was looking for a car you still looking for a car and I said yeah <laughs> he said ah, yeah you gotta be careful blah 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 and then it was like two days later he called me on the phone he said Hey man, I got your car. It'll be here tomorrow morning. I'd like Bob. See, and that's in a totally different country, and that's what I found when I hopped the plane and went to the Philippines is that here I was in this totally different country and all I had to do was leave my heart on the table kind of thing and talk to these people in a really honest way and say, I'm here because I want to write about this experience. I want to write about this culture, the things that I learn. I'm trying to understand certain things about life and I've come here to try and figure it out. How do you view God? How do you view the world? And with me doing that, we had some amazing conversations that I was able to just document and put into a book Mm. with people who are on the other side of the ocean, on the other side of the ocean. And some of their views and their it was just so uplifting and inspiring and, and enlightening and life altering experience this trip mm-hmm. and but the eye opener for me is that they weren't that much different they weren't different they all had the same basic needs the same basic desires the same basic understandings infinitely intelligent beings when you give them time to express and mm-hmm. just that was a, go- a game changer for me because that opened up my word, my eyes to the potential of life. I came back to Canada knowing that life was worth living, that there was so much more out there. Uh-huh. So that's beautiful. I, yeah, that's well, what I'm so excited we- about the fact that you just jumped in the car and went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful when we can see the commonalities among all of us, you know, instead of the, the differences and the separations. And it's really life is beautiful. So that was a wonderful experience you had. Wow. Yeah, we try to. I've been very blessed. 
we tell those stories and we try to get people to tell their stories and yours is just as yummy if not yummier than ours. Very ours cool. are yummy. It's just yours is yummy. It is because people I had horrible even even just you know, getting down from uh fifty years of collected belongings to uh, three suitcases and coming to Costa Rica. Which by the way, everybody, about a suitcase and a half I've never unpacked. It's there's still one <laughs> suitcases, so I that may that may go too. But um but even even with this, there were there were boogeymen in my closets as I cleaned them out, you know. And um no people I'm not, you know, a boogeyman's attached to the box in your closet. It's it's a figurative thing. But as I did clean out my closet closets, the closets in my mind and heart are opening and shit, stuff is spilling out. And um, uh, so it, it, it's an ongoing experience of, of sometimes just having to swallow the lump in your throat, and here we go. And yeah, The doubts, the fears, the why would I do that? This is insane. What am I thinking? Get out of your head. Everyone we talk to that has done that, the other side of that gulp, is awesomeness, just you know, awesomeness. Total awesomeness. And yeah. um, you know, it it the strangest things happen. You know, it. Mm-hmm. I've never. I don't believe ever in my life has someone said, "I've got your house." And people have said, "I know a house for you," or "I know where there's a house." But he was just, "I've got your house," and. You know, I've discovered since then that not only is this this mural was painted by a Russian fella who's down the road, and um, and the house itself is located. You go down the highway looking for a sign that says Hotel Cuna del Angel, and uh, what's what's that all about? Well, it's the hotel that that if you translate that, that means Angel's Cradle or birthplace wow. birthplace of an angel. And 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 it, it 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 really it comes into well Jean wrote her first her her book about her experience as fiction because she didn't think anybody believe it <laughs> <laughs> because it really it does it leads to things that are just the synchronicities can get so crazy out of hand when you start paying attention when you start looking for the signs when you yeah. start having that conversation like that. Honest to goodness conversation with God in everyday life, where there's ev- almost everything you're seeing, the conversation you're having, the interactions. You know, running to the grocery store, you end up getting a message. When you have that con- kind of conversation, people can look at you like you've lost it completely, especially if you're trying to explain it to them. So I decided fiction might be best because the people who knew me and loved me and trusted me the most were kind of looking at me kind of quirky for a while. And trying to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, gone are the days when family members would arrive with the men in the little white coats, uh, because it, it really it does. It's it's. I I know that myself just 15 years ago, 10 years ago, perhaps even, hearing my own story here in Costa Rica, or Jane's story in the Philippines, or your story coming to Ashland, Oregon would be like, yeah, no way. There's just no mm-hmm. way. And but yep. yes way. Way. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 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 
I surround myself with people kind of like that. But, you know, when I go back home, you know, I'm sure a lot of people think I'm crazy, thought I was crazy to just pick up and move across the country and then to pick up and move somewhere else where I didn't know anyone. But, you know, we have to trust. And when, when things start opening up for us like that, like being given a house and all that, you just have to know you're on the right path and just trust that it's all going to open up and I don't know. I, I just love living this way. It's so much easier than trying to make things happen. Oh, when yes. Anytime anything doesn't flow, to me, that is spirit saying, well, you know, you're done with that or that is complete now. You don't have to do that anymore. So I, I know. Or when, even when I, it can even be that's over for now. I've, yeah, I've learned that, sure. too, is that being done with something, putting something down doesn't necessarily mean you're never going to pick it up again. True. Yeah, it's the thing. And and like one of the analogies I love to use is, is the door to the kitchen. You're in the living room. You're watching a movie. You need a drink. You have to go to the kitchen to get your drink. But you don't mourn the loss of the living room because, you know, you're going back there. <laughs> right. But you need the drink. Right. <laughs> so um, and I think people need to look at opportunity like that. And and these quirky, crazy internal nudges or sometimes screams that we get, like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, um, that I, pe- other people might not understand. But I, I look at it that way, like, that's what I need to do right now. So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I have to do it because I need that that's drink. It. It's, it's, it's a life-giving force to me. Uh, it's very, you know, it's akin to water and air. And, um, oh, the world's going to work so much smoothly when everybody's playing this game, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's just going to work. It's just going to be so smooth and graceful, and things will just yeah. naturally get done, and there won't be arguing, and there won't be questioning of, of self-worth. Or, oh, we live in such exciting times. Uh-huh. We do, and it's always now. <laughs> we know. That's the cool part. <laughs> So, speaking yeah. of now, if somebody wanted to go right now, because I want to go right now and get your book, um, <laughs> where would they go if they wanted to go right now? Well, of course, I always encourage people to support their local bookstores and to tell, ask them to carry it. But for the month of August, we are having a, a book launch. So, if you go on my website, and my website is just DonnaCorso.com. Corso is C-O-R-S-O. DonnaCorso.com, and you'll see at the top uh, right corner where you where it says buy the book. If you click there, you'll see a little very short YouTube about Andreas and his journey, and you can read a little bit about the book. And then you go to the bottom of that page, and you can click on either Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and order the book. And once you do that, and you get your receipt back from Amazon, you just enter your code into the the little place there. You'll see step two, and that'll take you to a, a gift page, and you get a lot of um, access to free gifts. So anyone that buys it uh, this month, and of course this month ends what on Saturday, I think. Um, <laughs> some of some of the free things offered. Uh, there's a free workshop with Neil. There's Barbara Marks Hubbard uh, wow. offered part one of an, ex- of an exclusive video of her life. They're, they're making this video, so we get part one. Uh, Lynn, oh, Shirley McLean, you get one month free subscription to ShirleyMcLean.com. Lynn Andrews has the Active Power Meditation you can download. Um, Neil's wife, M. 
Clare is a, a wonderful poet, and some of her poetry you can download, and several other things, and even, including one of my CDs. I have three CDs on which I just read excerpts from three of Neil's books, and one of his books was called um, Home with God and a Life That Never Ends. And that was the first one. I decided I wanted to put excerpts from that onto a CD. And then I have a, a friend who just has magnificent music, keyboard music, and just beautiful. His name is Stephen Pike. So he put his music, you know, around my words. And it, it really came out very nice. My CD is called Forever with God. So you can download that for free. Uh, Andreas's father, Gordy, has a, um, a children's program, a children's empowerment program and so one of his cds you can download for free and then there's um just three or four other people that have either talks or things that you can download so you know anyone that orders it i'm i'm sort of leaning towards amazon but barnes and noble works too and they will get access to all those things wow wow that's a lot of gifts yeah yeah it's it's pretty cool i think so it's just down of course com. And if anyone wants to join me on Facebook, uh, it's Donna.Corso.39, which is, I believe, Jack Benny's age. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there you go. You can go, go find her right now. <laughs> yeah, I hope the uh, I hope the book will touch people, you know, and awaken them. So, because I think we have to. We have to stand up for our rights so we can make a difference. And if the laws seem to be not fair about how we can die, then maybe it's time for us to have a dialogue and get involved. Because um, you know, Absolutely. we're here to make a di- we're here to make a difference, and we have a right to die peacefully if we choose to, and not be told what things we have to have. So, I hope that will help. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't so agree too. more. Having gone through that process with so many family members. Um, uh-huh. and the only one who ever survived being just super, super angry for years that she survived. Uh-huh. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. You've got my total support in this whole thing. And I, I hope that you sell, I pray that you sell millions of copies. Gazillions, like you said. Spirit goes with you, love. Gazillions, billions. How many people are on the planet? Seven billion? Let's make it eight billion copies just to be on the safe side so some people might need to read it twice. (laughs) There you go. I just, I I wish you infinite success with getting this message out. I really do. And thank you so much. George, go with you. Right. I I would urge all of our listeners to open up the conversation in your, in your family unit. It's if you talk about it for a bit, it's not so scary. It's really not, and you can uh, avoid a lot of heartache that is just so unnecessary. And uh, frankly, I think it's all unnecessary—that heartache business. But we'll get there. And this is a big chunk right here because there's people that aren't living because they're scared of dying. So. I'm telling you, there's life after death in so many different ways. And for those you leave behind, for those that you know who have been left behind, for those who transition, it's it's all good. It's all good. It's all God. It has to be good. That's right. <laughs> all right. Ah, it's like 
you know, going to strange countries and meeting strange people. No, it's just just God. I'm with uh was it Mother Teresa, you know, what is it you do over there in India anyway? Out in the streets with the bums? She said, I I meet Jesus every day in all of his horrible disguises. It's it yep. just is. It's just more of us. We yeah. uh, man. Tons, 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 tons of gods walking around the planet. Go talk to them. So this is nice. Y'all have something to teach each other. <laughs> this is Remind each other. This is that interesting time of the show where we're not sure what to do yet because we used to tell you who's going to be on next, and we don't know exactly. Um, can't do that anymore. Um, that but I'm sure whoever is next, will be whoever awesome. is next is going to be absolutely awesome because they always are. So we humans only, are awesome. We That's only, so far have humans, uh, and so awesomeness ensues. It, it just has to. <laughs> There's no other option, really. Really, Donna, I just want to thank Donna, you thank for you spending so your much. time with us and your talent and your treasure. Well, thank you both. It's been enjoyable. I've really loved chatting with you. I like this. Awesome. It's awesome. Goal achieved. Fun was had by all. <laughs> right. That's all that counts. That's That's all that matters. George would approve. Yeah. All right. So, so DonnaCorso.com, upper right hand corner. Click get get the book. And um, be sure and go by everydayconnection.me. And in our right hand, upper right-hand corner, you'll find the spot to sign up for our newsletter. And now that we're in this new podcast format, uh, that's going to be, I, I think, the best way for you to keep track of who's coming, when they're coming, what's up. Because um, um, there will be surprises. Yes, there will be surprises because we don't plan this stuff. We're making it up as we go along. So it surprises <laughs> a lot of us. Oh, I mean, really, it does. <laughs> still, it, it still does. It's, it's awesome. Man. I, well, okay, I'll put it out there. I'm a huge fan of Neil Donald Walsh. In fact, I mentioned him. I gave him a shout-out in my first book. Um, so this was a surprise. This <laughs> was a huge surprise. Yeah, I like I, I like it when we have guests like that where you know uh, yeah yeah um, yeah say stuff very cool you know very very cool been on stage with so and so or done this or knows this person and Gene's like no way yeah really way that's so, awesome I just think it's awesome that so, there's so so many connections out there that's right and and fun so far. And we've gone way out there, some of these folks we've talked to. And still, fun so far. So thanks again, Donna. And uh, thanks to all of you diehard listeners out there in in podcast land. Uh, Our love to each and every one of you. Uh, So join us next time or whenever it's now. And until now... (laughs) To our mother, to each other, and especially to yourselves, stay connected. Now. Right now. Now, 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 now. (laughs) So have a good now, everybody. Okay. Join Gene and Rick again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and subscribe for news and updates. 
stop by their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Everyday Connection and join the conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.